was freaking out of. This, this is Brock and Saul. Brock Heward and Mark, Matt, Marcus. Sorry about just Mike. Mike. Presented by Carter, Volkswagen, and Ballard. On Seattle Sports. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. Where's like the buff dudes at? Now here are your hosts, Brock Heward and Mike Saul. <laughs> Oh, yes, rolling along. Brock and Salk, Seattle Sports on 710. Huge Mariner win last night. It was, you know, uh, not comfortable, but it was big when it was all said and done. We'll talk to Shannon Dreyer about it at 730 this morning. K.J. Wright is in for the 8 o'clock hour. And, Brock, when we left everybody yesterday, we were just finishing up with Pete Carroll. And we've been talking to Pete for, what, 12 years now, something like that, almost every week during the season and however many times during the offseason, et cetera. I feel like we have exhausted almost every single conversation about Pete. And yet twice in the last 24 hours, I've kind of had new thoughts about Pete Carroll. Yesterday was the idea, right, that sort of old school principles with new school uh, techniques. And that was sort of the first time that had crystallized for me. Were you thinking about renovating a postmodern house or whatever? Yeah, always. Did that cross your mind? Yes. I mean, that's (laughs) always, I mean, I'm always thinking about that. Yep. Okay. Right. I mean, well, I'm like, just saying the text that came in that that defined Pete in that way, in yes. an analogous way. That he's wasn't that what it was or mid century. He's a yeah. mid century modern that just is continually getting renovated. Yeah. No, I would say yeah. that's always on my mind, regardless okay. Okay. of whether we're talking to Pete. Oh, great. Awesome. And then uh, <laughs> as he was talking, I was struck by something. I was struck by a lot of what he said. I thought Pete was very interesting yesterday, but I want to play you two two quick pieces of sound. G. Scott, of all people, is always talking about how good Pete is at building culture and how we don't really even know the half of it, right? Yes. It's a big G thing. He yes. talks about it all the time. Well, I had a song ready to go, but I, I had a filter, so well, I stopped myself. Pete, Pete's yes. the man, and he builds culture, yes. and we don't even know the half of it. And uh-huh. if you knew what was going on behind the scenes, everything revolves around Pete. And I think it's easy at times to get caught up in Pete Carroll, the game day coach, because that's when we see him most, Right. Chewing gum, walking around, not going for it on fourth down when people want him to, not throwing the ball sometimes as much as people want, et cetera. Still Pro- hormonal. Hormonal, yeah. timeout mm-hmm. issues, getting mm-hmm. the play-in issues, although those <laughs> seems to disappear as soon as Russell left. I don't know. But anyway, that, it's easy to get caught up in all of that with Pete. And then this struck me yesterday, just how how involved Pete truly is with the idea of creating culture and how deeply he thinks about it. You know, one of the things that you guys may not realize that that happens in these camps is I'm trying to get these guys to know each other. And so we show highlights every day. And the highlights aren't necessarily just for the play, but it's for the guys to learn who they're playing with. And so that they also not just learn who they are, but they learn to expect what they bring. And so uh, it's part of the accountability thing. You know, once you show us who you are, then we can count on you being that. And and, uh, so it's a big part of what's going on here. And so that's all part of the orchestration. so that's the first part. Let me play you the second part of it because this is the follow-up. That, that, that is what the whole point of it is, is, is to get them to trust and, and count on the guys around them. Uh, and that's so that not only that it builds their confidence to believe in the guy next to them, but it adds to just the relationship part of it. And so uh, all of this is really important. There's a lot going on, and uh, there, there's there's some... There's a little bit of wisdom in there somewhere. I'm not quite sure, but you know, it's something about building uh, for the for the uh, the setup of the season coming. So up. all of that, Brock. I mean, yeah. first of all, I think it's interesting the whole idea of trust, and we've talked about that with Pete before, and that old Ricardo Lockett quote, right, about doing things so that Marshawn doesn't get hit rather than because that's your assignment. I love it. 
But that Pete thinks so deeply on it that, oh, why do we play highlights? To prove to guy A that the guy next to him, guy B, is an excellent player that he should trust in the game. That, that's, that is a really deep thought on how to build a true team. Yeah, I, I got this little smile on my face because it is so antithetical to so much of what I grew up experiencing in the same game and in the same league. I didn't get to be in that building. It wasn't built when I was a Seahawk. We were down in Kirkland. But, you know, just through the years, so many times, yeah, you would play some highlights. But most often when you got together and you watched plays, even with Coach Dungey, who was an incredibly positive guy, right, and it was so rock consistent – but on Mondays, you know what it was? It was the five plays that cost us the game, right? I mean, it's putting up those plays that, hey, this is where you're not counting on your teammate. This is where your teammate let you down. This is where, you know, this fundamental got in the way. This is where this decision ended up killing our team. And, and you know, this is 180 the opposite way. He could show all of those. There still is Tell the Truth Monday. But when you're building right now and you're growing this team and trying to figure out who they are, that, that to me is so counter to momentum moving forward. Mm. It's so counter to building confidence first in themselves, right? Because any player wants to see the highlight of themselves. Ooh, I look, I look great. Yeah. Look at that, man. Like that's a, that's a confidence builder in front of everybody in the room. But then, but then the other side of it isn't just, Oh, we're building you up and celebrating you and wanting mm-hmm. to put that on your gram. It is no, now this is who you are. And so this is what we're going to count on you to be for everybody else. So, yeah, there's some pretty good genius in there and amazing how the psyche in just yeah. a couple decades has really turned. Well, and he and he's a big part of it. I mean, he really was one of the first, if not the first in the league to start to move in that direction. So I, don't, I was struck by that probably more than anything else. I was described. I was struck by one other thing. And it was Pete when we were talking to him about Mike Bennett. Yeah. Well, um, I heard Duffy Doherty say that one time <laughs> a million years ago. I was a helping out my high school coach at, at the national convention in San Francisco and, and got to meet Duffy Doherty, you know, this, this big, and right off the bat, he's, he's, he's said that, that statement. I've never forgot. I was 17 years old. Yeah. So I want to that. Do you know who Duffy Doherty is? No, I don't. So I, I looked it look up. up. I had no I idea who I he was. Pete mentioned it yesterday. 55 like, years ago. I had no idea who Duffy Doherty was. He was the head coach at Michigan State in the fifties and sixties and into the oh, early seventies. That's right. Okay. Yeah, that's right. So, When you look up Duffy Doherty, one of the things that pops up are like the top eight Duffy Doherty quotes. When I read some of these to you, first of all, you'll think they're a little funny, but you'll recognize some of these and had no idea he said them. Okay. So here's one. The difference between good and great is just a little extra effort. Okay. But you know this one. Number two, a tie is like kissing your sister. Wow. You've heard that that one before, right? That was Duffy. Apparently that was Duffy Doherty. Number three, Brock, this one's for you because you think you're amphibious. Not only is he ambidextrous, but he can throw with either hand (laughs) from Duffy Doherty. Number four, my only feeling about superstition is that it's unlucky to be behind at the end of the game. (laughs) That's good. Number five, this is why Pete must have loved him so much. Number five, I know you know this one because remember how many times we've talked about um, what was it called? Crunch course, NFL crunch course, the old NFL films video about hitting. This was in it. Football is not a contact sport. Can you finish the quote? Violent. It's a collision sport. <sighs> Football is not a contact sport. It's a collision sport. I remember that from being a kid. 
Yes. Uh, Duffy Doherty, number six. I could have been a Rhodes Scholar except for my grades. <laughs> number seven. When you're playing for the national championship, it's not a matter of life or death. It's more important than that. <laughs> and then finally, number eight. All those football coaches who hold dressing room prayers before a game should be forced to attend church once a week. <laughs> I think it's great. That's Duffy Doherty. So uh, that's who Pete was talking about wow. yesterday. 55 years ago when Pete was 17 years of age, met Duffy Doherty. That's Isn't that good. crazy? Yep, through the test of time. Yeah, the like guy, it. the guy who said a tie is like kissing your sister. I'll tell you right now, I'm writing on my show, on my play script for tonight. Football is not a contact sport. It's, it's a, a collision sport. sport. Yeah, Why dude, that's like right that. at the beginning of NFL Crunch Course. So good. I'll, I'll never forget it. So, all right, um, Pete doing a pretty good job and got me kind of pumped up yesterday. We got a ton of sound from him that I want to play for uh, KJ at eight o'clock. Get some of his reaction because he Pete thinks this team is fast, and you know how much Pete values a fast team. So I'm kind of curious what KJ sees and what that would look like to his eye. We'll do that at eight o'clock. Coming up next, the Mariners play a game that just flat out demands. The Larry Salk rule. We'll explain what happened and what it means coming up next. Need to know. 15 minutes past every hour with Brock and Salk. Here's what you need to know. Up first. Well, that's about as nutty as a game can get. A day after the Royals blew a five-run lead late and then still found a way to win, the Mariners blew a seven-run lead and still found a way to win in the 10th themselves, apparently just trying to one-up the folks from Kansas City. Who was the hero last night? Got to go with Ty France. Here's the pitch. Swung on. Line drive. Base hit center field. Here comes Barlow. Around third base. Caballero screaming home. He'll score. Ty France. Clutch. Coming through. The Mariners lead. 10-8 in extra innings. Big time dive, France. Yeah, they needed that one. Two run single in the 10th inning that was the difference maker. Funny how different this Mariner offense looks, Brock, in hot weather and a nice hitting ballpark like Kansas City last night. They've scored 17 runs in the last two games. And I know the pitching hasn't exactly been elite. Jordan Lyles was pretty awful last night. Allowed four home runs in the fourth inning. Eugenio had one. France had one. Tay Oscar had one. Part of a five for five night for your guy Teo. Even Josh Rojas got involved. Mm-hmm. It was uh, it was an interesting game last night for sure. Yeah, this is why you've got to always be careful, man. When you look at this schedule and go, oh, soft schedule, soft schedule. Mm-hmm. Oh, look at this team. This team is terrible. And as you said, like, I know Kansas City's terrible. Jeff Passon told us as much yesterday. They have a terrible record. But the top of that lineup right now, I mean, I mean, Bobby Wood Jr. is the best player in baseball over the last seven, eight weeks. That's what the numbers tell you. Salper is a good player. Uh, and then when you actually watch him hit, and then you sprinkle in this guy at the top of the order, the guy that's hitting third yep. that we can't seem to get out. And, you know, it's just – and they play with nothing to lose. You have everything to lose. You, well, you also, are they're, right. They're terrible because they can't pitch. They're not terrible because they can't hit. Yes, they can run and they can hit. Now, they can't really pitch, and then it makes mental mistakes, thankfully. That, I don't know what that guy was doing getting thrown out of third <laughs> in the ninth inning, but that may have saved the game as well. But this is – you're trying to discover, and Scott said that after the game. You're trying to learn about this ninth inning. You're trying to figure out kind of who, who you've got. But you're doing it with your playoff lives on the line. Mm. They're doing it, and they're just playing free. That was a golly. That felt 
I know it's not a must win. Those don't happen until the last couple no, weeks of the season. You couldn't blow a seven nothing lead though. I mean, it but, was it was really 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 nice to see them find a way. They needed it to. Toronto, Houston, Texas, all win today. Luis Castillo going to get the ball. Probably going to need him to go pretty deep with a bullpen yes. that's kind of beat up. Royals haven't even named a starter for either of these two games. So you talk okay. about a beat up team. They are going to be in some rough shape. Here's the second thing you need to know. Uh, Seahawks get some good news yesterday. Linebacker Jordan Brooks has passed his physical. He will resume practicing with the team so far. Just walkthroughs, but still good news. Pete said that it may take a little while. Jordan says he might be ready for week one. The way I'm feeling now, I think I would. Um, Where I play, I don't know. Uh, We'll see. That's the biggest thing, getting getting the conditioning and uh, getting used to, you know, 12 play drives or six play drives um, and running around in pads, getting used to that feeling again. That's going to be the biggest part. Well, it certainly helps depth at that position, Brock, whether he's ready to go week one or not. Yesterday, Blue 88, you said depth was a big concern at linebacker. Don't you think getting Jordan Brooks back already would be a huge boon to that? Yeah, no question. And double down on that, our buddy Bill Barnwell over there at ESPN put not the interior D-line is the biggest challenge for the Seahawks. He actually went to linebacker and had a lot of numbers. excuse me, that were fairly compelling from a coverage standpoint at that level. And we, we can see it, the, the depth level with our very own eyes. I think what that means is now he gets to be in walkthrough. He gets to be around a whole lot more. You're not going to see him running and hitting for some time. So I have zero expectation. We'll talk about this in Blue 88, that he's going to be available week one. But to tear your ACL in January, right, that was the final regular season game. And to be back on the field clearing a physical by August, that takes a lot of work in the offseason. Here's the third thing you need to know. Well, you mentioned the ninth inning, Brock, and it's become clear that this is a bit of a question mark for the Mariners right now. In fact, Scott Service mentioned it after the game. It is different. It's the last three outs. <laughs> and sometimes the last one's the hardest one to get. Now, the only way you get used to handling those situations, you got to be in those situations. Experience is huge in our game. And knowing that you can get through it, maybe when you don't have your, your best stuff or your sharpest command that night, but your ability to execute pitches and keep executing and keep executing until things go your way. And our guys down there certainly had the stuff to do it. Great fastballs, outstanding breaking pitches. They're one of the top 10, 15 relievers in the game. Um, and multiples. I mean, Topa's put a nice year together along with Munoz and Brash brings and Spire. So we've got plenty of firepower down there. You just got to keep executing in those spots, even in the nights where maybe it isn't that easy for you. Well, I think you would put last night into that category. Right now, Munoz has struggled in three straight outings. Velocity down. Slider does not look nearly as sharp. And Brash obviously has some control issues, and he melted down in his last outing mm-hmm. as well. So kind of two thoughts on this. One, it's a problem that they've got to deal with and they've got to figure out. Two, it can be fickle because just as much as Brash had a bad outing last time, he could come out and dominate in his next one. Three... It may not be a problem if they can make it past this stretch. And once they get another pitcher back, at some point you could throw either Wu or Miller or somebody into that bullpen, and that could change things. And then my last thought on it is I'd really just like to see Justin Topa in the ninth. Yeah. 
Well, Topa got the eighth. They were kind of hoping to get him through the eighth. Well, that's because he had had to start the seventh. I know. And then Mooney got him out of the eighth, and then he had to start the ninth. Yep. I mean, this stuff just starts to. Well, and all that happened because Spire <laughs> couldn't go as long as they want. Yes. I mean, it was like one thing kind of led into another. Well, and then Hancock gives up the grand slam yep. with the 7-0 lead, so you can't get him through six. It's amazing. And Teo makes things. a play or doesn't make a play in the outfield that absolutely and Rojas makes an error. Rojas makes an error. I mean, like, just, you can just sort of go in uh, circles uh, on why these things all happen. But yes. at the end of the day, they got the win, oh. and that's what they needed to do, right? Just goodness, get Mr. a win France. yesterday. Ty bailing everybody Ooh. out of a situation that I don't think anybody wanted to deal with. So good stuff from the Mariners yesterday. And uh, you know what? Let's find out more on this. Specifically, what do you do in the ninth inning, and what does that bullpen look like moving forward? We'll ask Shannon Dreyer that question and a whole lot more. Coming up next on Brock and Salt. This, this is Brock and Salk. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. Back in mornings from 6 to 10. On Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. Mariners win in surprising and bizarre fashion last night. Similar to the fashion they lost in the night before. Shannon Dreyer, our Mariners insider, joins us from Kansas City. Hi, Shannon. Good morning. Good morning. What uh, what a weird couple of days. And coming off of the three losses in a row, all of which came in the late innings, how did you feel, before we get into the whole closer bullpen thing, how did you feel the team handled those losses, reacted to them, et cetera? I, I think it was okay. I think they were able to take them as what they were, as one loss uh, per day. And uh, you know, I think that they understand that they're kind of in a weird spot right now in that they are still adjusting after the trade deadline and that they don't have J.P. Crawford right here. And I think, you know, more than anything, they understand it's not going to help if they let one loss linger. It's not fun to lose games the way that they did, but they're focused forward, and that's important at this time of the year. A save for experience and confidence, which Scott talked about when it comes to the ninth inning and closing it out. Shannon, you've been around some very, very good closers over the years. Uh, even J.J. Putts way back when had some good years. Saki was amazing. Obviously, what Paul has been the last couple years. Is there something that stands out to you? Is there a trait? Is there a way they go about some of these guys that you have watched up close and personal really lean into and finish off those ninth innings? I think it's been different with all of them. I, I think above and beyond, I, you know, there's a lot to be said for experience. And the guys that you have in there right now don't have a lot of experience. And there's a lot to be said for confidence. And I think that they have that at most times. But I think it's just kind of a different level that you can only have if you have that experience. I, I think that's what you're looking at mostly. And you hear about, and it's true, just like with the team, if you do have a bad one, you've got to put it behind you. You can't let it linger. And I do think that the young guys do feel it uh, probably a little bit more right now. There's, I think, no way to get around the pressure that's on them because they don't have that experience. They've got the stuff. They don't have the experience. And they need to bounce back quickly when these things happen. When they're in-game, I don't think it really changes. I think that they've had enough experience in the big leverage situations. I mean, if you're facing down Mike Trout and Shohei Otani in the eighth inning, how is a save against the bottom part of the lineup any different? It, it really shouldn't be. So, uh, you know, I, I think it's just seasoning at this point with those other, guys. Other than it's sudden death, right? I mean, you give it up in the eighth, at least your team could come back in the ninth or, and have an opportunity, right? Now you give it up there, you're the last man standing. Not, not in the first half of this year they couldn't. 
Right. I mean, like you give it up in the eighth this year. You were toast True. for True. most of the year. I mean, so there there was yeah. some of that that yeah. believe. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, uh, and I think it, you know, in in that regard, though, and I think this is huge, and I think it is huge for the offense. For the first time all year, over the last I'd say three weeks, we've seen the offense at times carry the pitch. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's important in the runs that they're putting up on the board, but I think the offense needed that too. I, I think in these games, you know, you ask what the reaction is, is I do think there's almost a little relief that the offense is able to say at least we had enough here and we were able to do that. And I think that helps them going forward. If you could take back the Paul Seawald trade today, would you? That's a really tough one. Um, you know what? I have a two-part answer. For this year, yes. For next year, no. Okay. So would you take back the Paul Wall trade if you could? <laughs> it's too early in the morning for this, Mike. <laughs> it's 930 in Kansas City. Come on, Shannon. Got the in barbecue was, midnight. Are yeah, the barbecue kidding? was good last night. So you don't just go to sleep I'll, after I'll you eat barbecue. With, I, I think no, you can answer it without no, saying. It's a long game. Oh. You can answer it regardless of whether it was a good trade or not. Because I think on paper, it certainly is a trade that makes sense as you look at it. Uh, all of the control you get, what you needed at second base. I think there's a lot of reasons to make the deal. If you could take it back yeah. today, would you? <sighs> You know what? Because, I, I mean, I, I would want to look closer at the contributions and the numbers. Mm. You know, my head would want to look more into it. Uh, being around the game would probably say, yes, please give me back Paul Seawald. Yeah. Um, you know, that said, that said, he's had his moments, too, where he's given up games yeah. like. I, I don't think I would. Just to answer my own question, since I put you on the spot and then, you know, badgered the witness, I, I would say I would not take it back if I could. And that's not to say they're not missing Paul Seawald right now. I think they are. But I think two things. One, the long term of it, I think, is is so much more important than just having that closer right now today. And then secondly, yes, you mentioned Seawald's had some of his own struggles. He's given up a bunch of hits and home runs since he's gotten to Arizona. But finally, I think they're going to be okay. And and I know that this doesn't look good today after, what, four games in a row where you've had some issues late in the game. But I do have long-term confidence in Brash, long-term confidence in Munoz. I think that right now, if it were me, Topa's the guy that would be getting the ball in the ninth inning. And I think late in the year, you're going to have some options with Wu and Miller to maybe go in and bolster that bullpen. Okay, well, I'll come in and be the third witness here, uh, Your Honor. And I would say Shannon's absolutely right for next season. This was a no-brainer. For this season... Because of the emergence of Dylan Moore, because of the emergence of Cade Marlowe, mm. because Sam Haggerty seemed to find a little bit in Tacoma, because Jared is likely going to come back in September, I think I probably I think I probably lean into keeping Paul here and keeping that back end settled down. You said it yesterday, you move one piece and all of a sudden there's a bunch of these different pieces that are having to move around and be uncomfortable. So I think because of the emergence of those others that Dylan has found some of his rhythm and timing. Caleb Cade's been a bit of a revelation. Let me turn it back to Shannon then and ask you this, Shannon, how concerning then is Andres Munoz right now, not just because he's given it up a few times, but because the velocity has been down and because the slider hasn't been as sharp. You know, you look at that and I was looking at some numbers this morning and the velocity has been down, but the fastball has been more effective. So maybe you don't worry about that as much. 
And we've talked with this about Ryan Roland Smith on the post game show, and he'd really kind of like to see both Brash and Munoz throw that fastball a little bit more. And I think that does make sense. I think when you look at Munoz, and you know, you think back to a year ago, and when you think Andres Munoz, all you think is velocity. You know, that's the first thing that comes to mind. You can throw 101, 102. That doesn't necessarily mean that that was an effective pitch. His fastball, if you remember correctly, got hit last year. And particularly early in the season, batters were hitting 328 off of it last year. That was a pitch that he was using more to help with his slider. And they wanted him to throw that slider more. And he threw that slider like 62% of the time. And the slider was very good. The slider that we remember also was the slider that he threw at the end of the year. And that was a slider that had built up to the monster that it was in the final month of the season and the postseason. And we were looking at a slider that was off at 89, 90, and I think I even saw 91 at one point. We haven't seen that with a slider this year, but he's also fewer innings, and he is also you know, perhaps still dealing with the effects of, of being out with the lat injury. So, you know, to me, I just wonder if it would help him a little bit more now that that fastball, fastball is only getting hit into the tune of 212 this year. Maybe flip that usage a little bit or at least up that usage of the fastball. One of the more remarkable stories of the season has been J.P. Crawford. And for the first time in some time, we've seen him out for an extended period of time with that concussion. Here was Scott Service after the game talking about the loss of J.P. And I want to follow up with you. It is a big adjustment. I think anytime you don't have your guy, so to speak, and JP really is, and we miss him dearly. Um, hopefully he's going to be back here by the weekend. We'll see. He's getting better. But anytime you have a core player like that that is in the middle of the field, that's been through everything we've gone through, the ups and the downs, and being able to slow it down and talking to pitchers and doing all the things he does offensively, we miss him. Things happen throughout the course of the year. Players get hurt. They get banged up. We've got to continue to fight through it. He'll be back, and he'll be as effective as he ever was. Uh, Shan, do you have any update on JP? Has he been able – is he on the road trip? Has he traveled with the team? Did he stay home? Is there any update from your perspective on where he is at? Shannon? Oh, hello? Hello. Oh, she didn't like that. Yeah. She's like, all right, I'm back. Oh, okay. Hi, Yes. Yeah, kind of leaned into that answer a little bit more. I asked the question, by the way. They lost their quarterback to the defense. I mean, how did not? Yeah. How has that not played into the last couple of days? I, I think it totally yeah. has. Um, not a, I mean, it's a concussion, so you don't have a solid update with it. When he passed the test, he will be back. Everything we have heard is it has all been moving in the correct decision, in the right direction. He did say in that answer they're hoping to have him for the weekend, but you're just not going to know. You could wake up different any day. Yeah. Well, I, I think it was interesting to hear Scott talk about JP there, and I think it's a really good question you asked. Not just the defense, but also the leadership, the calming presence, both in the dugout and on the field and in the clubhouse. I mean, you lose your guy, and if you're going to always talk about how important those things are, when they go away, it is going to have some level of an effect, right? Oh, it is. And you've had you know two different shortstops uh, while he's been out. At the same time, you've had how many different second basemen? One of them was brand new to the team. How much does J.P. Crawford help Rojas if he's there right now because of the experience he has? Dylan Moore is just getting back. Caballero is is still very, very young, and there is. I mean, watch any mound meeting, and J.P. is right there, and he has words for the pitcher as well, and I think he gives that pitcher a lot of confidence 
behind him. And in the dugout, he is somebody that gets things going. Before games, he is someone who gets them going. And, of course, what he sets in a tone with his at-bats at the top of the lineup so important. I, I think that it's impossible to say that his loss is not felt on this team right now. Uh, Shane, I think Goldie late in the game, <laughs> after some of the theatrics, maybe even in that night, then he said, does this feel like a spring training game to anybody else? I mean, just the the, the amount of you know power and, and obviously runs and what were the hits last night in the mid-20s between the two teams combined. What is it about Kauffman Stadium with these two teams in particular the last couple of years that has led to some of these wild, wild rides? Well, it's not very great pitching on the part of the Kansas City Royals. <laughs> And then it's just the unpredictability that you have with them as usually a young club. If you're running into them in the second half of the season, they're out of it. They're not building up for a postseason, so they're trying guys out. You don't know any of the guys on the other side. And it is like a spring training game. It kind of reminded me, you know, when you hear the veteran who goes down to the minor leagues to get some work in and gets absolutely shelled, they come back and they were swinging at everything. All they wanted to do was hit home runs. And sometimes I think you see a little bit of that and the fact that the Royals usually can run uh, in, in Salvador Perez, throw him in the mix as well, and it just kind of turns into what you see. And I did think it was interesting that Scott said that he did gather the club afterwards, and you could kind of hear it from the outside. Uh, you didn't hear the big celebration right when you came down to wait for Scott to come out, to, and, and you normally would hear the celebrating. I mean, they didn't you know, hang their heads. They came in, they had their little high fives when they went in. But the real cheering came right before Scott came out to talk to us. And he mm. wrapped up what he was saying. And he <laughs> wanted to let him know, hey, guys, this is a win in a weird place. It's okay. Yes. I got to be honest, Shannon. You know, we've known each other a long time. I, I got to just share this. I'm, fe- I'm feeling this right now. Maybe, you know, but maybe a little too much. But I think I'm, I'm hearing from you that you're getting really used to these shorter games. You know, I, I'm, I'm <laughs> sensing from you that, that you really like this pitch clock in these much shorter games. We get back to some of the old days. I, I get a feeling that Shannon doesn't like some of these extended games. What is, is that, that Shannon, is that true? Well, I'm, I'm no divish. I mean, divish just all he does is he cheers for the clock now. You want to see some real anger. Wait till something goes to extra innings. That's not me. <laughs> but, but, you know, my clock changes with these long games, too. <laughs> <laughs> well, Shannon, thank you. Uh, in any event, they are winning for the most part after the little three in a row. Nice to see him get back on track last night, even if it was a, you know, uncomfortable way for all of us to watch it. We appreciate it. Have fun the rest of the trip. We'll talk to you when you get back. Yeah, it'll be interesting the next two days. Oh, it always will be. There you go. There's Shannon Dreyer, our friend and baseball insider. And, of course, you can read her at seattlesports.com. I got a text from somebody in the Mariner organization yesterday who said, I just received a text from somebody that said, I wish that I had pulled the Larry Salk rule tonight. So yes. my dad is feeling very, I don't know, I want to say cocky, mm-hmm. but cocky. About, you know, the fact that his rule, yeah, his rule has really started to make the rounds and is sure. growing in fame. And 24 hours ago to this minute is when I ordered my oh, yeah. very soft jock straps. Not yet. No. Not yet, but they're going to come. Wow. So, and, and for those of you who don't know the Larry Salk rule, this is my dad's rule that he created years ago when he was frustrated by watching Jonathan Papelbon close for the Red Sox. The rule is essentially if it's a night game and your team is up heading into the ninth inning and your closer comes in, you should turn off the game, that there's no upside in watching it. If he does his job, then fine. You watch the win, which is already what you were expecting. And if he blows the game, you're going to be mad and you're not going to be able to fall asleep. So there's no upside in watching yep. it. 
So that's my dad's rule. By the way, it's only a regular season rule. It doesn't apply in the playoffs, gotcha. but that's a uh, a regular season rule. The Larry Salk rule. Yes, that's it. That's what they call it, the Larry Salk rule. All right, Brock, it's time for Blue 88. This is Brock and Salk's Blue 88. Blue 88! We take you to the field as Brock Ewer breaks down three football questions as only he can. Now here's your hosts, Brock Ewer and Mike Saw. Well, Brock, as Pete was talking yesterday, if I know anything about you, I knew that there was going to be one thing that you were going to focus on today, and it was this cut right here. Uh, so we've been working really hard conceptually. We've even come up with a couple new thoughts and things that we're, we're working talk about dealing with issues, you know, citing issues, and then uh, and then expressing issues to your team to your players, and then practicing the issues, and then and then seeing the results of those issues. So uh, is that an accountability you. thing? Yeah, it is. It is, and it's it's. Uh, we're really trying to focus on the littlest of things that we can coach and teach and, and, and then take the player through a process where they have to be exposed to what they're dealing with and then <clears throat> they see themselves practice at it and then they see the, the results of it and then we come back and, and reinforce. That focus on teaching, Brock, where does it come yep. from? Yeah, I mean, Pete would have been an amazing teacher. He would have been. I mean, he's an amazing coach. He's a Hall of Fame coach and all of that. But can you imagine if he were your, I don't know, eighth grade social studies teacher, if he were your junior year philosophy teacher, if he were your history, like he is so into, and it used to be, remember his term, we got to learn the learners. We got to learn about them. We got to learn the learners, how they learn. This is just the next level of it. This is his, remember Pete got his doctorate from USC. He's Dr. Carroll now. And this is like the next level up from learn the learners. And that is how, how do we as coaches, let's look at us. How do we teach? How do we teach the teachers? You know, from a staff standpoint, how do I make sure that my staff is getting the very most out of all of their pupils? And it's awesome. And that was brought on, by the way, by you asking him, you know, what are you doing this year? What yeah. books are you reading this year? What, who are you listening to? Who are you sitting down with this year? After Blue 88, if I got time, I, I got to share a little story that I had heard at my Fox seminar about an amazing, amazing group on the West Coast. <laughs> and I, I don't think Pete's a part of it, but it wouldn't surprise me. And I would love to know his cadre of relationships that he leans into. The other people maybe in the profession, outside the profession, in the business world, of how they go about with this new age, Salk. This is relating to the players today. How do we relate and equip the players today? Because what I did five years ago, what I did 10 years ago, what I did at SC is not the way that I do it now. Pretty impressive that guy that's going to be 72 when it comes to teaching, one of the most progressive guys in the league. Well, I told Mora before the show that you would use the phrase learn the learners when this question came up. And that is exactly what you just did. So I got a little points for that, Mora. Yeah, I'll give you a little credit. Thank for you. That. I, I did. It's say not it. often that I give you credit, so you know. I was just that on point. Question, well. question number two. <laughs> you see what it takes to get credit from Mora? Oh, I thought you were just enjoying my answer. I saw a smile <laughs> on your face as I was talking. I'm like, oh, good, he's engaged. Moore and I were going through it this morning. He's like, okay, Blue eighty eight. Brock wants this cut. He's going to mention learning the learners. Just wait. Brock loves that phrase. Question number. You brought me Starbucks this morning. So yeah, dude, I'm oh, on point today. Way to go! So. I'm like the nicest guy. God, everybody loves me. Question number two. Uh, Jordan Brooks passed his physical. Any chance he plays week one? He said he could. Lo- he would love to. Pete didn't seem so sure. No, he's not going to play week one. 
there is now going to be a ramp-up period over the next two to three weeks that he's going to go through walkthroughs. He's going to probably put some pads on. He's going to work through some individual drills. Maybe at the end of camp, maybe slides into a couple team drills. But I, I think you're probably looking midseason. You know, it, this is not, remember, that whole philosophy, which I often share with my eighth grade football team, especially when it comes to conditioning. It's not about the first quarter. It is about how you win the fourth quarter. And I thought it was introspective that Jamal or that uh, Jordan brought Jamal right into it, mm-hmm. that those two trained together in Texas, that Jordan pointed to and gave a ton of credit to Jamal's energy and his juice as far as getting back. And I think these two are going to be on the same path. It's not going to be where they start. It is how do we get them to the finish line? I mean, by all accounts, medically, I think Jordan's injury was more severe than Jamal's in September. I mean, Jamal tore the tendon, major, major injury, and I'm not minimizing that at all. And and it is different from an ACL, right, where there is a lot of history of guys coming back from that. Mm-hmm. But I think they're slow playing Jamal even more because it's not about September, mm. not even about October. It's going to be about making sure those two horses can come down the stretch in December, January, and maybe even into February. All right, question number three. You see these comments from LJ Collier? I don't know how serious they are, but he's in Arizona now. Had a nice game in the first preseason game. Knocked down a Russell Wilson pass, which is always entertaining. And anyway, here's what he had to say about Seattle. He said, quote, it just didn't fit for me, man. It wasn't my type of system, my type of place. I tried my best to make it work. Sometimes places don't work out. On to the next one. And I feel like I've made a home here, and I feel like I'll prove over the next couple of weeks I'm worthy of the first-round pick I was a few years ago. Okay. So I think there's twofold answer there. I think one of them, there's a little transparency that a small-town Texas kid didn't necessarily love Seattle. Mm -hmm. And I think that's okay. You know, I think the reality or the thought that every one of these players matches all of Every one of your ideologies out there in Western Washington is not realistic. And there are some that are like, hey, man, I gravitate to that. I love that. I love, I love all sorts of different people. And the locker room is full of all sorts of different people. Mm-hmm. So it usually allows a, a team and a teammate, even if those aren't your values, to appreciate a place just like you appreciate a locker room. I watched him uh, in that game against Denver, and he's added weight. He's playing inside. They're letting him come off the ball and cut it loose. So he's not a two-gapper. He's not a tweener. He's not having to do a bunch of other things. And for him and his skill set and maybe the lack of some dynamic athleticism, Salk, that's about the way, only way he can make it in this league as a D lineman. So do you think to, he'll make it, though? I think he'll make it in Arizona, but I think Arizona's a terrible team. Right. And I think it's a, a one-year deal there. So, you know, as far as fit goes, I see I don't – I know you could read that and say, what? shut up, LJ. Like, come on, man. You were first-round bust here. You didn't do yeah, anything. I didn't, I didn't. It didn't bother me that much. No. I think he's just What's he being, supposed to say. Yeah, I think he's being fairly transparent. That he fits a little better down there, and then scheme wise, it's going to yeah. give him at least a chance to. What do you expect to him to say? Oh, everything went great, which is why I busted as a first round pick. Like he's got to blame somebody other than himself. So I don't really have much of a problem with that. I thought it was just fine. That's today's Blue Eighty Eight. KJ Wright's going to be in in ten minutes. Brock, you said you wanted a quick story. You got about a minute and a half here. Yeah, it's just a you know, there's some of these different groups, you know, some of these different clubs that you hear of and, and stuff that you know goes on behind the scenes and. Chat with a Fox executive, and he's like, "Oh man, one of my favorite weekends of the year. I get to." 
to just immerse myself around a lot of other brilliant people. Like I just totally get away. You leave your phone, you leave everything. And it's like three or four days. And I, I think they may move it around, but usually it's up in the Napa Valley and they bring in amazing speakers and uh, some of the most amazing people in business. And you get to be surrounded by them. And there's one rule and that is there's no business talked. Well, who does this? Oh, you know, there's, I think these go on around the country with, with different groups. You know, I, I don't know the name of this one in particular, but I do know both locally, regionally, nationally, you have groups like this, male and female, right? That do get together. And there's often the rule, which is kind of like it's some private golf courses. Yeah. We're not talking business. Hmm. We're not, we're, we're leaving all of that. There's going to be no strings attached. We're just going to equip ourselves. We're going to learn. We're going to bring in some brilliant people, some of the big Ted talkers and some of the brilliant people in business and government. And you get a chance to keep learning hmm. because I think many times when people climb the ladder and they get, they get to the position, yeah. you know, in whatever profession, like, we never oh, get invited to those things. I, I, re- I reached this profession and I'm done. No, you're not. And you got to continue to be. Can we don't get too. invited. You and I should get invited uh, to stuff like that. Yeah. Don't you think? Yeah. We're not elite enough. Well, like, no. what do you need to do? I see. This is why I always try to be an elitist. I want to right. be invited to things like that. How come we're not invited? Yes. That's terrible. It's all about us. All right. Coming up next, the, the guy who it's really about. I can see his long arms. They're in the other room. They're practically reaching into this room from where he is. The return, the triumphant return of the KJ Wright show. You all wanted it. You all begged for it. You all demanded it. You all basically went on strike outside our building saying we won't do anything. We won't move until KJ Wright returns once a week, every week during the football season. And that gets going next.